Welcome to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast, where we interview the world's leading CEOs, business executives, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and authors. Our mission is to learn the strategies and tactics that have helped our guests succeed in business and life and share those lessons with you so that you can become the Bulletproof Entrepreneur. My name is Chia Dogu and I'm the co-founder and COO of Odogu Media Group. Odogu Media Group is a podcast marketing and new media agency that helps corporations create and amplify their story via high-quality branded audio content that builds a community of highly engaged fans who are their ideal clients for their premium products and services. And now, without further ado, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today is Brian Berg. Brian is the co-founder of Good Fucking Design Advice. He is an international speaker and consultant for brands that are looking to embrace a culture and mindset of risk-taking and innovation. He's worked with several brands from Fortune 500 companies to small and mid-sized companies. His work or his team's work has been awarded and featured in numerous publications around the world. He's been featured in places like Inc., Fast Company, etc. His new book is titled Do the Fucking Work, Lowbrow Advice for High-Level Creativity, which was co-written by his business partner, Jason Backer and Jason Richburg. I'm pleased to have Brian on the show today to tell us a little bit more about himself, his business, his experiences, his entrepreneurial journey, and of course, the new book, Do the Fucking Work. So with that said, Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chief. That's, that's like the best introduction I've had in uh, a while. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. Man. So Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in this whole design game? Uh, it was, uh, it's, it's all a giant mistake. Um, I think your, your listeners will be surprised. They're like, oh, that guy wasn't worth listening to. He's, he's just full of shit. Um, <laughs> but um, so the, the business, Good Fucking Design Advice, started, uh, it was founded in 2010. Um, and it was uh, between me and, uh, as you mentioned, my uh, co-founder, Jason Bacher. And we, uh, we were both graduate students at Kent State University at the time. Um, we had, uh, we had actually both gone to the undergraduate program, but we were in different years and various life circumstances just had it set up so that we pretty much started graduate school at the, at the same time. And, um, so we've been familiar with each other, but, uh, because of how the program was structured and us being in different undergrad years, um, we didn't really ever interact until we were in graduate school. So here we are, basically we're in the very first semester and we're both, uh, teaching classes um, as graduate students and, uh, the way in which Kent's program, at least at the time was structured is they sort of just threw you into teaching classes and you didn't get a, like, nobody said, this is how you're supposed to teach, Mm. uh, which was a terrifying experience. Um, but they also gave us classes like teaching basic Photoshop, uh, and Adobe products. So, you know, like file new file, open file, save. Um, so if you screw up teaching that class, you're not going to permanently, uh, destroy your students. Um, but in any case, so, um, one morning, so we had sort of, we worked in the graduate studio and he and I both sort of had a similar, uh, uh, potentially unhealthy work ethic. So you would find us in the graduate studio early in the morning, six, seven o'clock. Um, and he had a class that he was teaching that ran from like seven to nine. 
And after that class, we typically would find ourselves going out to get coffee, um, catch up, just kind of start the day. And uh, a couple weeks into the semester, we, we were walking back from getting coffee and we were, uh, we were talking about how our students were not engaged with us, which of course has to be the student's fault, not the fledgling teachers that we were. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we started kicking around some different ideas and um, none that we, we weren't really trying to solve the problem. We were, we were laughing about it. We were coming up with the various joking ideas uh, for this. And um, as we had our discussion, one of the things that came up was like, well, you know, maybe we could do some sort of design advice website. You know, like it, we mentioned in our book that uh, teaching design, especially at the, the basic beginning level, is trying to get people to remember specific um, like aphorisms, like make things smaller or pay attention to contrast or hierarchy, or there's, there's some key things. And a lot of times with students, what you'll do is you'll, you'll get them to come up with their own list of like 10 to 15 things. So when they're back working on a project in their studio or at their apartment or their dorm room, they can refer to that list because inevitably they'll come to class and then you'll just say like, Hey, you don't have a proper contrast here. So if they have that list available, then that sort of helps speed along their process. And it also helps them to internalize uh, general principles of design. Mm. So we thought, well, this is something that we could do. We could make a design advice website, but, uh, you know, thinking about it from the student perspective, like no one's paying attention to us in class. Why are they going to come and visit our website to look at the material there? True. Um, and then we laughed about it. We said, well, we could maybe put some profanity in it. Uh, and we kind of looked at each other and we don't remember who came up with it. But we just sort of mutually said we could call it good fucking design advice. Uh, and we laughed about it. And uh, we weren't we weren't really sure if the other one was serious about the idea or not. We're just sort of where this uh, organic conversation had led. Mm-hmm. And uh, we raced back to our graduate studio and you know, we're graduate students. We had all sorts of important uh, more smart people things that we should be doing, like researching and writing and things like that. But we basically just took our arm flat on our desks, cleared everything off onto the floor, and we got to work. Um, I started doing some of the design work. Jason started doing some of the uh, coding. And we were just bouncing the idea of the website back and forth to each other um, for the majority of the day from like nine to five is typically what we would say. And at the end of that point, we had like a rough version of the of the first website, and um, it w- was never intended to be a business or to have any sort of major following or success. It was simply something that we uh, ourselves thought was very funny, like a couple mm. of ten year old boys, and it was a great way for us to blow off steam for a day in the stressful environment of graduate school. And uh, and so we just set it out. We just. Put, turned it on. Uh, we shared it with like a collective 20 or 30 friends on Facebook. Um, and pretty much the, I would say the smartest thing that we did was we did manage to hook up Google analytics to it just because we were curious, like what the outcome would be. I think had we not done that, we would have not known the impact that we had so quickly. Mm-hmm. So we launched the website that first day at five o'clock. And we came back to the graduate studio at midnight because we were like, okay, well, let's see, you know, how many people visited our website in the seven hours? Like, did, is it just like the 10 people we, the, like 10 people from that group on Facebook or did we get more? Did nobody care? Uh, we, <clears throat> we went back and it was amazing. We had, there were 500 people that first evening that had visited our website. 
And it was like, oh, well, we've never we've never had that many people visit our own personal design websites before with our portfolios on it. Like, mm. that's really something. Um, so uh, like responsible graduate students, we snuck off to the local uh, convenience store and bought some beer and we drank in the graduate studio and celebrated our, our minor success and uh, what seemed to be the end of our 15 minutes of fame. Um, and so we repeated this process. The next day we went through, did our normal actual graduate school work and taught classes. And at midnight, we met up um, in the graduate studio and we checked our analytics again. And we had, I think it was 6,000 people show up the Ooh, second day. Wow. And again, we were amazed, like, wow, this is, this is a lot. Um, and again, third day, don't worry, I'm not going to go through every day since we've been in business for nine and a half years. Mm. Um, but we went to the third day and the third day we had 70,000 people that showed up. And at that point we were like, oh, we did a thing. Uh, we should stop drinking and start thinking about how we can capitalize on this. Yeah. And fortunately, um, at that time, we also received a lot of, uh, we received a lot of email about it. Um, we didn't have like, um, we didn't have any social media accounts at the time attached to it. It was a little bit of a different, uh, environment, um, in 2010 for that, uh, at least initially we didn't. And so we got uh, a number of emails and they were like 50% negative and 50% positive. We okay. received some really scathing emails, people saying like, my favorite one is that we had set the design industry back 10 years. Um, and just like what horrible people we were. Um, and we received a whole bunch of other really positive ones that were like, wow, this is really great. I thought this was hilarious. I would love to have a poster. I would love to have a t-shirt. Um, and so that kind of gave us the idea like, well, maybe we should make some products. Um, and that's kind of, that's the initial opening of how we got started. Mm. Well, I mean, I took a lot of notes there. And I think the most recent or the biggest thing that jumped out to me was, polarization is actually very good for business or for anything you're doing. So it seems to me that what drove your website or the advice to, to just blow up and become viral like that was basically, you guys were putting content out there was, that was polarizing and then people had visceral responses to that. Whether it was good or bad, they were letting you know. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say that's correct for sure. Mm. Interesting, interesting. So now when you did this and the content was going great and you guys were still in school and it was time for graduation and you were like, okay, what do we do with the business or what do we do with content? Do we turn it into a business? How did you guys go from, you know, just having the content there to now incorporating and starting to get clients and then letting clients know that you're a different type of design agency and that you have your own irreverent voice and irreverent style and that you will repel some people, but at the same time, you only want to work with a certain type of people. Right, right. So, um, so for moving forward from that, you know, we started developing um, products and started selling them on the website while we were still in uh, graduate school. And so GFDA became like our side hustle passion project. Um, we used to joke that it was like, it was like any good party. It ran from nine o'clock in the evening until question mark. So we would do our, our regular responsibilities throughout the day, nine o'clock, we would uh, come back. Eventually we ended up living together in the same uh, house in graduate school with, along with two other graduate students. And so um, we sort of ended up dedicating the basement space to GFDA 
Mm. Um, and so we'd come back at nine o'clock and we would, we would just work until like the orders were filled or, you know, whatever the responsibilities that we had, um, in those early days, uh, were completed. And so he and I both, uh, separately had a small smattering of like local clients that we were working with just as like freelance designers. Um, and uh, because of this, again, like how, um, not particularly intelligent we are to, to get things going, like we were working on those projects separately. And then occasionally we would talk to each other and be like, Hey, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And vice versa. And at some point we just sort of stopped and said, well, why don't we just work on this together? Mm. And so, um, we started working together on those smaller client projects and through the local connections that we had, we would, we would get design projects, but they were, we always sort of presented ourselves as, uh, Brian and Jason at the time, mm-hmm. because, um, GFDA was very, was very new. Um, we weren't advertising that we were doing client work. Um, it was, it, we, we were just very conflicted about how this was going to impact our reputation in the greater design community. Mm. Um, especially, you know, we're getting, we're looking, we're, we weren't like, it wasn't completely codified as a business or at least or I mean, a brand, it was a business yeah. in the sense of a legal entity, but okay. it was like, there was no plan for this to be like our full-time job after graduation initially. Yeah. Cause it was like, okay, we're making a little bit of money on the side. This is, this is kind of nice, but like, we'll probably both end up going and finding jobs afterwards. And you mm. know, who knows, but as, as uh, so graduate school, we were in school for two and a half, three years. Um, and as we approached the uh, graduation um, business continued to pick up, um, we started getting invited to, lecture uh at AIGA chapters in the states and conferences um we actually did our first international conference in 2012 I want to say maybe it was the beginning of 2013 yeah it was the beginning of 2013 um shortly before we graduated and so we we started to feel this momentum picking up and sales were doing well um and so then we just sat down uh and said well you know we're going to be graduating we're both used to living like the impoverished uh, student lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Let's give this a go. Let's, let's finish our degrees and let's see what we can do with this. Um, I should also mention, uh, as, as an aside in terms of like the, the teamwork between me and Jason at that time, um, was, was really great because, um, we were both, uh, trying to finish our graduate, uh, thesis, theses, and there was no way in which we could both manage the business and write at the same time. So we we had an agreement between us where during the fall semester of 2012, I would run the business and Jason, by and large, unless there was an emergency, wasn't allowed to know anything about what was going on. Okay. His job was to sit in the library and write until he was done. Mm. And then when he was done, then we switched. So in the spring semester of 2013, it, we swapped. He took over the business. I was not allowed to know what was going on. My focus was finish the thesis and graduate so that we can move on to the next phase of our life. So that sort of uh, relationship and trust was really important for the business and also for our education and just, yeah. you know, progressing through life. So um, I guess to, to sort of wrap up answering your question. So when we hit that point um, later in 2013, we decided, okay, we're fully committed to this. We're going to try to run this like a real serious business. We started hiring uh, employees part-time. Um, so we had upwards of, I think, five or six at one point, uh, students and graduate students 
that would come in and work for us in our basement, um, unbeknownst to our landlord, thankfully, um, <laughs> at least for a while. I think he may have eventually figured it out, but in any case, he didn't seem to be too concerned. Um, and we decided to do a tour around the United States um, later in 2013, like in the fall. So we bought a van on eBay, sight unseen. Um, it was like a 1972 Dodge B300 Sportsman where somebody had put uh, straight pipes on the side and it was a beautiful cherry red color. And we uh, sent an email out to um, all of the AIGA chapters. We kind of had a loose idea of how we were going to go, like well, where we were going to go through the States and when we would be there. First of all, said, what's, hey, we're what's AIGA? AIGA? AIGA is uh, in the States. It used to stand for the American Institute of Graphic Arts. Uh, if okay. I remember correctly, they've just, they've dropped what it stands for. It's just AIGA, but it is the... Okay organization that has chapters in most major cities for uh the graphics. profession of graphic design and okay it's like the professional association for that okay cool so um so we, we sent an email out to all these chapters and said hey we're gfda maybe you're familiar with us maybe you're not but we're going to take a ride around the country for two months uh we would love to stop by your chapter um we're not charging anything for our lectures but if we stop by and we speak really appreciate it if you could like put us up in a hotel for a night and buy us beer, some food, whatever, mm -hmm. um, and let us sell some of our merchandise at your events. And we really didn't know what the outcome of that was going to be. I didn't know, like we had been invited to speak a few times, but we didn't know if people were going to react positively to that or if they were going to be like, no, I don't want you coming and swearing at all of my designers in, you know, Philadelphia. Um, but surprisingly, uh, at least to my surprise, uh, we sent that email out, and a week later, we had booked 20-some events uh, during the uh, two-month trip that we were doing. And as we set out and went along our way, we ended up booking another five or six uh, hmm. as we were going about. And so that really helped us to help to promote us to the greater design community and get people much more familiar with uh, our brand and our message and in a lot of ways put um, put faces to the advice that we were giving and show people that we were normal, regular, everyday people. And we would lecture about our business and talk about uh, all of the dumb mistakes that we had made and, you know, how we were struggling to figure out who we were and what our products would be and how to produce them, things like that. Mm. Now, before we get into the topic of the book and the content of the book, I noted that you mm -hmm. and your partner develop a keen sense of trust between yourselves so basically the partnership with one of you working while the other studied and wrote the thesis and all that stuff so tell me a little bit more about you know how did you guys you know develop and build on that trust essentially what are the strengths and weaknesses of each of you and how do you guys leverage on that to build a good business and succeed and lead your team sure so i will i will start this by saying that um Although Jason and I are still very good friends and we uh, obviously co-authored the book together, we're no longer partners, but um, okay. I'll talk about that and I'll talk about how, how we separated and how we maintained a really, and still do maintain a really good uh, personal and professional relationship. But okay. um, so when we were in graduate school, um, we, we were sort of like thrown into this GFDA thing accidentally, as I said, right from the yeah. get go. So we were familiar with each other. We had been chatting a bit, but we, you know, we weren't really great friends prior to that. We've never really worked uh, together very seriously. Um, but we both had a, a sense that we were like cut from the same cloth. Like 
we saw each other working early and late in the studio mm. uh, who could look at each other's design work and notice that like, Hey, this person really knows what they're doing. And it was really like, I could talk to this person and they get like what I'm trying to go for. Um, they could critique, like we could critique each other very honestly and not take it personally. Um, so a lot of those things were sort of right off the bat, very evident. And I think was, uh, helped us to be successful, just kind of getting things going when we had no idea what was going on. Um, as we progressed before, um, after the first two years, before our first lecture, there were so many ridiculous things that had happened in our business and the uh, opportunities that occurred and mistakes that were made. We said to ourselves, like, if nothing else comes out of this experience, if we, if we finish graduate school, we close the business and, you know, it was just a, a fun little thing. It would be great to go somewhere and lecture about this and tell people this really crazy story, um, which is actually a lot of what is in the book, at least as far as the narrative section. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did to prepare for that is, you know, we, we were meeting with uh, like smaller clients at the time and, you know, we sort of would get a sense for like who should talk and when in meetings just intuitively, but to really bolster that since we had the opportunity in graduate school to teach, um, we would just go into each other's classes and we would team teach um, Mm. multiple times a week for an entire semester. So um, when you're running design classes, it's not like a, it's not a pre-scripted lecture format. It's all critique based. So we would have uh, three hours to critique with students and you can't really, I mean, you just have to, what the students bring is what you have to work with. You can't really prepare for that. You have to be very, dynamic. You have to look at the student's work. You have to consider who they are, where they're at. Like, how do you give them just enough so that they can figure out like the, the solutions for themselves so that you're not handing them answers. Mm -hmm. And that's different for everybody. And so we were kind of managing that dynamic back and forth, working with these students and working with each other um, for like, for, we did it for a whole semester and then we just did it for fun. We did it for a whole semester deliberately for the purpose of maybe someday we'll get to do a lecture um, but, and then after that semester, it was just, we enjoyed it. So we would occasionally pop into each other's classes and do that for, for entertainment. So when we finally got around to our, uh, our first lecture, um, we, we gave it and we was very, very well received, more well received than we had anticipated. And when, then when we told, uh, everybody that that was our first time presenting together, I mean, the, the everyone was astonished, um, mm-hmm. that we just were worked so well and being able to bounce off of each other and carry a dialogue. So um, those are some things that we had done that were uh, sort of intangible that really uh, helped to shape our dynamic back and forth. Um, And so then after, um, so we, we graduated, we did the tour around the country. Um, We got to see a lot of different cities and we both knew that we were not going to stay in the small town of Kent, Ohio forever. Um, so when we got back, uh, the decision was made that Jason would move to New York City. And um, I actually, I wrote my graduate thesis about decentralized design management. So how do you handle the creative process um, when people are in different locations? Mm-hmm. And uh, we decided for a year, we were going to test out this model where he's in New York, and I'm going to stay in Kent, and we'll try it and see if it works. We'll keep all of the products and the logistics and fulfillment in Kent for now. And we'll just give it a go. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, then he can come back to Kent and we can regroup and figure out where we're going to go from there. 
um, it ended up, uh, it ended up working out very well. Um, and so after that, I, uh, we found an outside filming company and I moved, uh, temporarily to Cincinnati and we worked remotely that way. We would, I would typically, I would go to him in New York because New York's a better place to go, obviously. Um, and we would function that way. And in 20, in 2017, um, Jason came to me and he just said, you know, look, um, I'm just not into this the same way anymore. And I don't think that that's fair. It's certainly not fair to me. I don't think that's fair to you that just like this just isn't working for me anymore. There mm-hmm. are some opportunities that I'd like to take advantage of in New York. Um, how can we work this out? And so against everybody's recommendation, uh, we didn't lawyer up. We didn't do this whole big complicated thing. Um, we, we trusted each other as we always had. We put our personal relationship first ahead of anything business related. Um, and we just took the chance that neither one of us was going to fuck the other guy over. Mm-hmm. And I'm very happy to say that that didn't happen. And shortly after he left, managed the book deal. And it just seemed like the appropriate thing for, if we're going to talk about the history of the company for him to be involved in that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, he's been involved, even though not in the day-to-day operations, like he yeah. used to be, huh. um, you know, here and there, creative projects, lectures occasionally, you know, I kind of call them in when necessary. And that works out very well for the both of us. Hmm. No, that's, that's very good because one, I think the level of trust that you guys build with each other is, I mean, unbelievably remarkable because you just don't hear that about many business partners and even the level of trust when it comes to dissolving the partnership, well, not dissolving the partnership, but dissolving the work partnership so that he could go and do his own thing while you could still run the company and everybody would get treated fairly in that. That that was truly remarkable. So yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the book. I uh, I laughed a few times when I read the title. Do do the fucking word. (laughs) Low-brow advice for for high-level creativity. So tell us a little bit more about what you meant when you wrote the book and uh, what the content is in the book. Well, you know, like all of our advice, if you view it on the internet or you come to any of our lectures, we always start with there's this profanity thing. And um, yes, we do it to get attention, of course, obviously. Um, But we've always felt that like, if we just swear at or with our audience, like in every sentence, but that's not really like it gets old very quickly. So um, we have tried through over the years through our lectures and our work and our products to, yeah, we get your attention with that, but there's a deeper meaning and there's a deeper message underneath this. And we want to communicate that. So mm-hmm. um, our, our thought on the, the title was, um, you know, over the, over the nearly decade that we've been in business, we've worked really hard. We've made lots of mistakes. Uh, so there's the working hard part. And the lowbrow advice for high-level creativity, we're going to swear at you a bit in the book, but we're going to deliver, uh, hopefully in your opinion, um, some really good content that inspires and motivates you and uh, gets you off your ass and uh, back to doing the, the hard work. So, so what's some of the advice you put in the book to help people get off their asses and get back to work? So the book is, um, I think it's, I think it's unique. Uh, I don't know anybody else that has put a book together quite in the format that we have. Um, the book is broken into uh, six chapters. 
Um, each chapter is themed with a part of the creative process. So for instance, chapter one is um, all about getting started. Chapter two is about uh, dealing with um, obstacles. Chapter three is managing failure. Chapter four is about asking for help. Chapter five is about uh, being passionate about your, your work and your life. And chapter six is about finishing the job. So loosely following a, a creative process, and so each chapter opens with um, mostly a sequential narrative about the first five or six years uh, of the business prior to Jason leaving um, is what we covered in this book. And we just kind of go into detail about how we got started, how our initial attempts to make posters and coffee mugs and T-shirts uh, failed miserably and how we had to figure that out. And the the relationship that we built uh, between ourselves, me and Jason, as well as um, our fellow graduate students, one of them being Jason Richberg, who is uh, also working with us um, at GFDA and is uh, the primary writer, really. Um, I wish I could take credit for some of the brilliant things that he put together, but um, he did a masterful job of articulating a lot of things that we've tried to communicate um, in the past, but he just did such a better job of it. So um, that is sort of the setup. So after the, so there's these narrative sections that open each chapter. Uh, they're like uh, six or seven pages long. And then after that, there's 15, 20 pieces of advice in each chapter that are um, related to the overall content of that chapter. So like chapter one is again, getting started. Mm -hmm. So advice in there is like, get out of your own way, pre preparation over planning, start a new project, get up early make the leap, like all these kinds of uh, nuggets that are related to that. Like, okay, it's time to, it's time to get started. Yeah. Um, and there's some copy about each one that kind of explains it in a bit more depth. Most of the time there's no additional profanity in there. And then there is uh, some kind of uh, clever, hopefully clever visual solution that is related to the advice. So for example, in one of the chapters we've got don't fucking procrastinate. So all the text is like smashed up against the far right side of the page, trying to have like a visual pun on what the advice is. Um, and our hope is that, you know, you could buy the book, you could sit down, you could read it uh, during a plane ride, maybe two, three hours, or you could be your favorite bathroom reader, just put it next to the toilet, open it up to any random page, read a two or three pieces of advice, and then put it back and return to it some other time. Mm. Now, now look at, looking at the world of design coming from you having worked, having taught, going through design school, are there any new changes for 2020 that you see in the design world? So I guess my question will be, what, what are some of the predictions for how the design world will change and what young designers or young entrepreneurs in your space need to start doing to get prepared for opportunities? Uh, well, I don't know how insightful that I'll be on this, but I think that my personal opinion and one of the reasons why I really enjoyed teaching and enjoy doing the workshops that we do um, is that I feel that because of the way that technology is now with um, the accessibility of the internet and computers and the software that if you are a design student, the world is your oyster because design is it, if you get the principles right and you learn how to make things like going to graphic design school, you make projects from concept to completion. 
as compared to other disciplines. And I, I don't mean this disparagingly, but like you'll come up with like the theoretical idea. Like if you're in a, say, a marketing major, like, oh, here's the idea. But then you have the idea, but somebody else has to see the execution through mm-hmm. and how it's made and get it to completion where my experience and in, in both as a student and teaching in design school is that like you have to do all of that. Like you have to create the thing that you imagine in your head. And consequently, I feel that design students with the accessibility of technology, that they have a fantastic opportunity to be entrepreneurs, uh, solo or otherwise, and to explore all of those options. And you don't, I mean, everything's so accessible. Like you can learn so much from YouTube and from podcasts that like, if you get those basic design principles down and then you want to start creating products or visuals or whatever, like there's, there's no excuse for not being able to do that now at this point in, in history. Cool. Cool. And as we wind down the show, Brian, um, looking back on your career thus far, is there anything you think you could have done differently that would have helped you um, achieve success faster? Uh, you know, it's, that's tough to say. I don't know that I would uh, betray my former self um, necessarily mm. um, because I don't know that, you know, if it's like the butterfly effect, uh, I think it's a term, like if I went back and I changed something that maybe I felt could have gone better, like maybe that wouldn't have led to the point at which I'm at now. Like maybe um, like we had done some book proposals before this one. Um, some companies had some publishing houses had reached out to us directly. Um, and, you know, of course it would have been nice to know some of the things that I know now about how to put a proposal together and everything. But, you know, if we, if we had made in this particular example, if we had, written the book then, which at this point would have been like six or seven years ago, it wouldn't have had the same amount of rich experience in it. It would have been a very different book. And I think it would have been a lot yeah. more shallow because our experience was so much more shallow. So mm-hmm. as nice yeah. as it would be to say like, Hey, I started a company. And then three years later, somebody asked me to write a book. Um, the having, you know, nine, 10 years under my belt, um, I think makes it a much more valuable read and, uh, puts the company and myself in a better place. So um, I would say generally, no, I would, uh, I would still keep the decisions that I made. Okay. Cool. Cool. So Brian, thanks a lot for coming to do the interview and sharing your words of wisdom. It's really been a pleasure learning more about you and your company. But before I let you go, tell us a little bit more about where people can connect with you, get to know more about you and your business. And of course, purchase a copy of your new book. Sure. Um, so the, the book, Do the Fucking Work, uh, Lowbrow Advice for High-Level Creativity, is available at most major retailers. So that would include like Barnes & Noble, of course, Amazon.com, um, indie booksellers. Uh, you can pick it up digitally if you want, Apple Books and Kindle. So that's the book. Um, you can find us at uh, goodfuckingdesignadvice.com. Um, if you don't want to remember all those words, you can type in gfda.co. That'll also get you to our website. Um, our main point of uh, social media is Instagram. Our handle for that is good, G-O-O-D-D-S-G-N, advice. So good design advice. There's no profanity in that. Um, unfortunately, the handle at GFDA was taken. So good, D-S-G-N, advice. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can, uh, people can always reach out. My email is brian at gfda.co. 
Um, we do lectures, uh, we do workshops on risk-taking as it applies to creativity, and have had the great privilege of working with a number of uh, large-scale corporations like Nike, New Balance, Church and Dwight, Adobe, uh, just to name drop a few. Mm. Now, you just mentioned something interesting, your workshop on risk-taking as it applies to creativity. Share a little bit more light on that before I let you go. Sure, sure. Um, so we started doing lectures, like I mentioned early on, and that slowly turned into teaching workshops. Initially, it was primarily geared towards students and basic like graphic design ideas. But as the years kind of rolled on, Jason and I didn't feel particularly strong about our workshop. We didn't feel that it was very unique to us. And we stopped offering them for a period of time and we banged our heads against uh, the wall in each other's heads, trying to figure out what, if we were to continue doing workshops, what would that look like? What's the unique GFDA workshop? And when we reflected on our company and careers until that point, we, we realized that a lot of things we were doing were uh, very risky. Um, and we thought, well, why don't we make a workshop about risk taking? And we sort of, we looked around and noticed that no one else was doing anything, or at least if they were, it hadn't been named as such. So we developed the art of risk taking workshop. Um, and as many of the, uh, GFDA endeavors go. We, we talked about it. We had a very loose idea for what this workshop would be. And we posted about, uh, maybe a paragraph on the website saying, Hey, we do this workshop. It's about risk taking and creativity and, uh, check it out. Uh, we'd love to, we'd love to come do it. And a week later, somebody from Nike contacted us and said, Hey, uh, we'd love to have you come do that workshop. And we were like, Oh, okay. Uh, when he said, how about in a month and a half? And we were like, okay, sounds good. We do workshops all the time, um, which is not exactly a lie, but it was kind of a lie. So, uh, so we built the initial rendition of the workshop. It's typically an all day experience. Um, we've done half days occasionally, and sometimes we'll do a small section of the workshop at conferences. Um, but we, we built it with a lot of very, um, it's hard to describe it. Very abstract exercises. Um, and our feeling is that the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So we put people and teams into uncomfortable situations and see how they manage it. And then we have a reflection period afterwards and talk about how they manage it, how they worked through with themselves and with their team. And then point out this correlation, like if you're having this problem here in this goofy exercise that we've given you, then it's probably showing up elsewhere in your life and work. Mm. And, you know, here's an opportunity to reflect on that and think about how you might change that uh, unconscious habit that you have. Mm. Um, so Jason and I built the initial uh, version of the workshop. And then uh, Jason Richberg, the other co-author on the book, he and I have taken it uh, and developed it quite more extensively. Um, and we'll, basically, when we started, we had some exercises that we had pulled from other places or experiences that we had had. Um, but now we've like got our own full suite of exercises that we do. Um, typically what we'll do with a, uh, a client, like a corporation that reaches out and hires us, um, we'll have a number of phone calls with, uh, the senior leadership of the team or teams we're going to be working with to get an idea of, um, the company, what the culture's like, um, what they see as problem areas where they would like to see things improved. And of course, all through the lens of risk taking and teamwork, but, you know, we try to customize um, the experience to each specific client as best we can. So if I have a handful of interviews with uh, those folks, we will then 
develop new exercises uh, for fun because, you know, we're taking risks as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also have a bank of exercises that we've been using in the past that we feel, you know, kind of cherry pick and say like, okay, I think that this is based on what we've had in these conversations. This is a good one for this group of people. um, And we'll build out the workshop that way. And that's uh, that's kind of the, the general setup for our workshop. Okay, cool, cool. So that's it, guys. If you want to learn more about Jason, if you want to get in on his workshop, if you want to get the book, goodfuckingdesignadvice.com is where to go. And you can always find, I said Jason, I apologize, Brian. <laughs> so if you want, so if you I've, want been call, to, I've been called worse, man. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to talk to Brian, please go to the website, buy the book, connect with him on LinkedIn. And yeah, that's it. So once again, thanks a lot for coming, Brian. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneurial Podcast at www.odogwu.com.